Hello, I'm Tamara Banks, and welcome to Denver Decides. This community partnership is dedicated to accessible and transparent elections. The partnership includes the League of Women Voters of Denver, Interneighborhood Cooperation, and is presented by Denver 8 TV. Our mission today is to present a candidate forum in anticipation of the general election coming up on Tuesday, November 6th. Among other offices, this election includes the candidates vying to represent constituents in Colorado State Senate from District 32. State Senate District 32 is located in South Central and parts of Southwest Denver. Our format includes timed opening and closing statements from each of the candidates that will be followed by rounds of questions that have been submitted by the organizers of the forum. Since we do have a time limit, we may not get to all of the questions that have been submitted. All of the candidates will answer all of the questions and all of their responses will be timed. Our timers are right out front where the candidates can see them. So let's begin by meeting the candidates vying to represent the constituents in State Senate District 32. The candidates on stage are standing left to right facing the audience in the order that their names will appear on the November ballot. So beginning at my left is Robert Rodriguez. And on Mr. Rodriguez's left is Mark Callender. And next to Mr. Callender is Peter Smith. Let's welcome our candidates to the forum. Welcome, gentlemen. One more note to the candidates on behalf of the forum organizers, the audience here tonight and our viewers at home. We sincerely urge you to be honest, direct, and forthright to help the voters distinguish one candidate from another. We will begin with one-minute opening statements from each candidate. We will proceed in ballot order with statements. So once again, starting at my left with Mr. Rodriguez, we'll begin with your opening statement. And again, you've got one minute. Thank you. Thank you, Tamara. Thank you to the League of Women Voters and the Inner Neighborhood Co-op in Denver decides for this forum. Uh, my name is Robert Rodriguez. I'm a candidate running for Senate District 32. I have lived in the district with my wife since 1995. I decided to run after the election in 2016 because I just couldn't figure out how we ended up with uh, Trump as our president and I decided to go out and talk to people and listen. And what I found is that people think that government isn't working for them and, and for families anymore. So as I walked the neighborhoods in my election in the primary, I discovered we have issues with affordable housing, working class families being able to live here and stay here, and uh, good, wage, good wage growth in healthcare. My big platform ideas is universal pre-K, protecting our health care. And in my personal life, I work in the criminal justice system where I see a lot of people coming out of prison with mental health issues. And I'd like to give them opportunities with trades and apprenticeships to, to not have to return to prison in that lifestyle. Um, those are some of my platform ideas. I'd love to get your support. And thank you very much. Okay. Next opening statement from Mr. Callender. Good evening. Um, I appreciate the guys, the work you guys put into this. And... Uh, um, and the opportunity just to speak about what I'm for and an opportunity to show why I think I'm the best candidate for the job. And since I'm one of five kids, I feel compelled to point out that my 94-year-old mom is here, so thanks for being here. She always loves when I point out her exact age. But uh, between her and my father, who's an inner-city Chicago school teacher for 30 years, they taught me some great values. Those values worked well getting me through school, uh, starting and selling my own IT company. Um, and I'm running for two reasons. One is to reprioritize our spending to be for better roads and schools. And secondly, to try to stop the hate and division that we see all over our state and all over our country. Tonight, I'm going to be advancing ideas that have been proven to work and turn away from those that have failed. Coming from Illinois, I've seen damaged, failed policies, what they've had as a, uh, on the effect of communities. I mean, it's so bad that Illinois actually issues an IOU when you win the lottery. All right, thank you. Mr. Smith. My name is Peter Smith. I'm 26 years old, and I'm running for state senate because we need a different kind of politician in this state. I was born in Colorado in 1991. Since the time that I was born, our state has changed quite a bit. We have built a new train system, sports stadiums, widened our roads, and attracted 2.5 million new neighbors. All With all this change coming through all of our neighborhoods and the gentrification that's happening to my community, the town that I was born in and grew up in and went to college in, 
I finally stopped in 2016 and I asked myself, who is Colorado changing for? And I believe the answer nowadays is not me. <laughs> um, I believe that the, the two-party process has failed us. I believe party politicians work to benefit their wealthy donors at the top and have forgotten about people like me at the bottom who are struggling to survive and live in the town that I grew up in. I believe that I'm watching an economy and that's my time, but thank you. All right, thank you very much, gentlemen. So now it's time to uh, ask you some questions and they are submitted by our partners and some constituents in your, um, your district. So the first question, and we will start with you, Peter. Should the state of Colorado ensure the dreamers receive a college education? And you've got one minute to answer. Absolutely. Um, I am very frustrated that this has not come to the forefront yet. Uh, I believe it's hard to be an immigrant in Colorado all of a sudden. Um, I believe we're watching the federal government um, threaten our f immigrant families at um, when they drop their kids off for school. And I believe taking away and not giving dreamers the opportunity to succeed and with state um, help, just like I went to school, that we are not only harming our economy, but we are harming our communities and most likely um, harming the future of Colorado for time and time and time and years to come. So I believe that the dreamer, we've, we do need to get this done. I believe that, I believe that dreamers, um, as they are now, are an important part, and I believe mo many people in the legislature do agree that we need to do more to help our immigrant communities in all respects, not just in education. But um, I am a firm supporter of our immigrant communities, and I look forward to being your very loud and vocal advocate in the legislature. All right, thank you. Same question, Mr. Calendar. When you say education, are you saying K through 12 or? Just a college education. Should the state of Colorado ensure the dreamers receive a college education? Ensure, I mean pay for it? No, like make sure that they do. Okay, no. I, I think we, and this is what my whole statement of uh, purpose of being here today, we all have to decide just how much government we want in our lives. It's a, I, I love the idea if we could afford it, but notice so many of these proposals, they never come with a price tag. No one ever explains how it's going to be paid for. God bless them. They're here. I'm glad they're here. I hope they're doing well. But to actually afford a four-year college degree for every dreamer that's here, we have to do the math on that one. But we have to get away from the idea that government has to do for everybody all the time on every corner of our state. We simply can't afford that. They're, the money just isn't there. So as much as I'd like to help them, um, I don't think it's the responsibility of the state to actually pay for every kid that's here to go through four years of school. Thank you. Ms. Rodriguez? Uh, yes, I, uh, I support uh, Dreamers being able to go to college. Some of these, these kids were brought here with their parents before they had any say. Um, I think they should be able to pay in-state tuition to go to college and get any kind of affordability that anybody else should try to get. Um, people just want to succeed, and not everybody goes to college. I think they should be able to do apprenticeship programs and anything else that they choose to do. But absolutely, should people, that, that these children that have come here and just want to make a better life for themselves, why shouldn't they be able to participate in our society? So I do support that. All right. Next question, and Mr. Collender, you'll be the first one to answer. What will you do to improve the transportation desert in Senate District 32, where there is no alternative transportation except for RTD? Um, well, first of all, I support Proposition 109, not 110. Uh, Proposition 109 actually uh, puts bonds out there without raising taxes to the people. Uh, there's multiple tax issues on the ballot this this uh, election cycle and quite frankly there's too many the state has ballooned in the revenue over the last four years just four years ago we've collected six billion dollars more than we did just four years ago the the revenue we've collected is 30 percent higher than just four years ago so what I would do is just I would I would vote for that I would help it get implemented and um, as far as RTD um, I mean, I lived in Chicago a long time. They were able to weave through L tracks through buildings. You just have to have a city plan to see if that's even possible. 
But right now, I'd be just for expanding the roads. Thank you. Mr. Um, this is one of my arguments is why we need to deal with Tabor. Um, next year, we're looking at a refund, a Tabor cap where people could be getting refunded 15 to $20, which is we, ha we don't have roads. We're, they're asking taxpayers, which I think could be somewhat regressive. Um, we have most of our districts outside of Denver are going to four-day school weeks. Uh, we have issues with this. I would prefer us to deal with Tabor and to go to, and we're going to the taxpayers to ask them. But in the history since we've had Tabor, I think we've passed tax increases twice, and that was for marijuana and I believe cigarettes. So I would like to address Tabor to address our roads and transportation issues. Thank you. And Peter. I talk every day with people in my district who struggle to get to work. They cannot afford the cost of living in, in, my, in our district anywhere, really. But the transportation desert that's going on in a city like this um, is something that the legislature kicks down the road because they are afraid to go to the voters with tax increases to pay for it. And that has to end. Um, I support championing, champion, uh, being the champion of a new light rail line down Colorado Boulevard. I've talked to governments, uh, government leaders in Inglewood and Centennial, and they would be willing to um, extend that line down. Same with uh, on Broadway. We need infrastructure spending. In the last 20 years, because of Tabor, we have allowed our state infrastructure to crumble. When you add 2.5 million new pe people to an infrastructure that is collapsing and cannot um, handle the amount of people that have moved to the city, you have a serious, serious issue, and it goes on to affect housing and education and everything else. And so we need to spend money now, and I will be a vocal champion to take a tax increase to the voters. All right. <clears throat> Thank you. With our next question, we'll start with you, Peter, first. The question is, uh, excuse me, Roberts first. Our district, <laughs> our district is made up of a lot of small businesses owned by minorities. What are your plans to see continued growth for small business owners? Um, as a, I work in a small family business now with my, my father for uh, rehabilitation. It was originally started for veterans, and then Reagan said that veterans didn't have a problem, and it became an opportunity to help people coming out of prison to, to find, a house, find a place to live, get a job so they weren't just reintegrated back to the streets. Um, I think opportunities like that should be given. I see a lot of small breweries and pubs opening up in the neighborhoods, and I think that's a great thing that we see. I'm a big advocate for opening small businesses. I sometimes worry that some of these big multi-for-profit publicly traded companies are just buying everything out, and we tend to lose some character when we have companies like Walmart coming in and their employees are on public public's, uh, social safety net and on what Medicaid because they can't afford to live here and have health care. I think that promoting small businesses and letting small companies drive things is what makes our country great. All right. Thank you. Now, Peter. Um, on, the uh, on the facts or the case of immigrant um, businesses in my community, uh, I think we're doing a good job with some immigrant businesses popping up. I had Maria Empanadas last night for dinner. I love that place. I love to see um, immigrants starting businesses in our community. They are the lifeblood of our community. Do I agree that um, the state should be giving special tax incentives to immigrants? I don't see any problem with that. California does that, and they attract the world's best talent to their state, and they have a thriving economy. I will do all I can to support immigrant-led um, businesses because, um, really, it's those are the, um, the people and the business owners that make up the cultural makeup of our cities, and um, especially Denver, and especially in South Denver. I used to live in Athmar Park, and all of my favorite businesses are owned by minorities in, in the district around federal, and um, they were a huge part of my life, and I actually, I really do, it's the one, I had, uh, there's a lot of things to miss about not living in Athmar anymore, but um, those, not having those communities and those businesses in my life uh, has actually been um, quite a decrease in the, my quality of living, so. Thank you. Okay, and Mark. Well, I've been dealing with small businesses for my entire career, and uh, I can tell you, talking to them, you know, I look at them as just Americans, whether they're Hispanic, black. I mean, they don't care. I don't care. Um, I know what they go through. I started my own company. I bought a company and ran it for 12 years, and I think one of the most important things we can understand about small businesses is just really how hard it is. Um, 
80% fail in their first year, 95% fail in the first five years. And another amazing stat, 80% of all full-time workers work for small businesses. And when I ran for office last time, the, a Democrat-led bipartisan committee chose me to be part of their committee because I get it. In fact, they nominated me to be on the leadership committee to the National Small Business Association. So I'm continuing to advocate for them. Um, what I do for net business now, I'm officially a 1099 under Keller Williams. So I'm a small business again, so I get it. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Now the candidates. You've had a chance to uh, answer three questions and listen to your opponent's answers. Now you get 30 seconds to have a follow-up uh, to one of your questions. You may add 30 seconds to one of your answers or comment on one of these answers given by one of your opponents. It's your 30 seconds to use, but this is not a time for questions. Okay? Understood? Great. Okay. So we will start first with, uh, we'll begin with Mr. Smith. 30 seconds for a follow-up. Um, again, to go back to this transportation desert and how people in my district are struggling with our lack of investment in the infrastructure. I believe we do need to start really heavily investing, and I'm, I'm speaking directly to my voters because it is time we need to pay more taxes when it comes to infrastructure. We need to make the investments now. We have a top five economy in this country. Our economy in Colorado has never been this good since I can remember. Now is the time to spend the money, put all the legislation for not I'm talking hyperloop trains even if we're going to give cities subsidies for scooters we need to be doing more um, when it comes yes, to infrastructure there we go. thank you and mark yeah I want to add to something else about the small business um, not only do I want to convey how hard it is to stay in business and succeed uh, both of my opponents are for all kinds of taxes both overt and hidden and this is the last thing that small businesses need uh, I fully respect the fact that we have a difference of opinion, but the mandatory living wage of businesses I've spoken to, they're absolutely 100% against it. That will kill jobs. That will shrink the economy. Okay. Mr. Rodriguez. Uh, yeah, I'm a big advocate for getting rid of Tabor. Um, we, I don't look at increasing taxes as a bad thing. As my opponent discussed, uh, a living wage, Denver, you have to make about $108,000 to qualify for a starting house. I don't think $15 an hour is, would be considered actually a living wage for a lot of people. So, well, we keep seeing wages go up for the top level earners and we don't recognize the work of the people that are doing the work that aren't getting paid enough. And it kind of saddens me where this country's went with that. This country was built on factories and companies. When your company succeeded, your lower seconds. people did well too. Thank you. I don't see that anymore. All right. So our next round of questions uh, will begin with, with you, Mark. The next question is, what, where, and why is your favorite place to spend time in our district? Obviously, this is asked by one of the constituents in your area. What, where, and why is your favorite place to spend time in our district? Um, oh, that's easy. Uh, Washington Park. Um, why? It's an amazing, beautiful, huge park. Um, I've met people there. I've played volleyball there. I've seen kids fishing there. I ride my bike there. Or I run around, uh, do laps around it. Seldom more than two, but uh, that's it. Okay. Robert? Um, the last year and a half of my district, I've walked all of it. I've, I've appreciated all of it. There's so many little hidden gems in Senate District 32 whether it's Southwest Denver and some of the parks out there with just the little neighborhoods that are, I think of undiscovered that are like Wash Park. Um, a lot of time for me when I have free time is spending time with my wife and our three dogs and pets and usually just enjoying our house and our neighborhoods. You know, we go to the little local places to eat and that's, I just like living and I love my district. Okay, thank you. And Peter. Um, well, as I mentioned in my opening remarks, I'm 26. Um, so to, to begin, I would really, I think I should be saying South Broadway is, is my favorite place. I spend a lot of time there. I love the nightlife. I like to go out, and that's my favorite way to meet my constituents. But I think the best way and the best place um, in our district is my favorite time to spend it there is um, at Houston Lake Park um, in Athmar Park. 
They have brand new tennis courts. My father and I go play on Saturday mornings and get to watch the all families walk around, walk their dogs, um, you know, play at the playground. And um, really, I've, I've when I lived in Athmar Park for so many years, became such a part of me and to watch the community slowly get a little bit more improved. Like I said, they redid my tennis courts. And now it's someplace I can sit in peace and ha happy that my community is getting invested in. And um, it's, you know, it's a great time. And I get to spend time with my dad. All right, thank you. Next round of questions, and we'll start with uh, you, Robert. What are you doing to protect the district from gentrification? So gentrification is it's a pretty in-depth question to get into. I mean, people move into neighborhoods, and I think the best way to combat it, and at a state level, we have a local control issue. Some of the only things I can look at, and I have them on my platform, is allowing the municipalities to opt into some form of rent control currently that's not allowed um, I wouldn't get a say in that but if the cities decide that that's an option I think that's good let it, watching giving more funding to Chaffa the Colorado Housing and Finance Authority that you can use their power for leveraging for affordable housing and to keep their neighborhoods it was amazing as I was walking the districts watching all the single-family homes being torn down and building large mansions and then I just read about how there's a huge shortage on affordable housing and nobody wants to build that anymore. So looking at ways to leverage that and putting those opportunities is something I'd like to work on. Okay, thank you. Mr. Smith? Can you repeat the question for of me? Of course. <clears throat> what are you doing to protect the district from gentrification? Currently what I'm doing is um, banging my gavel at anyone that will listen. Um, but this is this is a, a issue that hits home for me. It's the reason I jumped in this race because we do have such a huge um, issue with affordable housing in my district. But I'm currently living in a house that the day after the election, it will be torn down in Wash Park to be built um, anew, twice as large, um, and increase my elderly neighbor's um, property taxes uh, You know, soon after. And this is the biggest issue in Colorado right now. Gentrification and not being able, affording to live in our communities is the problem. It is the greatest issue that we face as a people. And that is the reason I'm in this election. Election, I, I, I in this race we need <clears throat> affordable housing from the state level we need CDOT to be uh, to begin investing in affordable housing at transportation centers so low-income workers can get easily to and from work and um, currently uh, the state has a ban on rent control that we passed in 1980 uh, out of a, um, a situation that happened in Telluride and that needs to be re re um, repealed so cities can make their own choices great thank you and Mark? Um, well, I think it's a great subject to talk about. I mean, I come from, I'm one of five kids. We were raised on a teacher's salary. I mean, you can do the math. We weren't exactly rich. So I understand that it's, it's a struggle for people of lower income. But gentrification, there's an upside to gentrification. The people who live there are making, I'm in real estate. I've seen their faces when they sell their property for a lot more than they ever thought they could. They're putting money in the bank. Uh, you hate to see get people pushed out, but that's not really an accurate portrayal. A lot of these people are cashing out. They're not being pushed out. So it can be a positive. I mean, overall, if a neighborhood is getting better, um, thank God for it. Uh, rent control, absolutely 100% opposed to it because it hasn't worked in other cities. Great idea on paper. Doesn't work in reality. All right. Thank you. Our next round of questions, we'll start with you, Peter. If you could change one current Colorado law, which one would it be? How would you change it, and why? I guess we can consider Tabor a law. Um, Tabor and Gallagher are, are strangling our state. Um, I have watched uh, our education system crumble and our teachers spill into the streets because they not only <clears throat> can af not afford to live in the districts they teach in, they can't afford to live in Colorado. I have watched our roads crumble. Um, the average person in Colorado spends $680 more a year to drive on our roads because they're in such bad condition. Um, I've seen our legislature become completely partisan divided because every single investment we want to make into our communities have to come to a partisan vote and everyone is at each other's throat for it. Tabor was an awful idea. 
It has strangled the state, and it will bring us to our knees. If, if with, without the um, introduction of marijuana and all of these new people that have come in our new economy, um, I would be very worried for where Colorado would be right now under Tabor. And it's going to get worse. Um, there's no good end in sight to that bill, and it needs to go away immediately. There's nothing more important than that. Okay. Mr. Callender? So what one law would I change? Uh, just off the top of my head, I would change the law that is restricting um, uh, home builders and condo builders from building. It's, it's one of the few states in the country that is as onerous as it is. Again, it started off as a good idea, but in reality, it's actually boosted uh, home prices because you can't keep up with the demand. The average sale price in a home right now is over half a million dollars. So what we need to do is, you know, work toward that demand, not try to cap it. As far as Tabor goes, I find it just shocking that people are want to get rid of that. That is a law that gives the average Joe a vote in whether their taxes go up or down. That's why it was called the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. Right. Thank you. And Mr. Rodriguez. I also would support uh, repealing Tabor. It is a <laughs> huge problem that I talk to people on both sides of the aisle that it's a can we've been kicking down the road. Um, I don't have a problem asking taxpayers for money, but we had we had a lucky thing in the last recession where we got a short time out. Every time it was ratcheting down, Tabor was designed to shrink government. We have two major things of funding. Like we talk about roads and schools. Our biggest funding for education in the, is the education and health care. And in order to fund roads, we'd have to take money out of those buckets. And Tabor is one of the hindrances we have for that. So that is one of the big priorities. We wouldn't talk about it for years, but I think with everybody talking about roads and all this other stuff, I think people are starting to realize that it's something that's strangling us. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. And one last question, and we will start with you, Mark. Who are your major contributors to your election campaign? Major? Uh, well, the max is only $400, so I really don't have any major contributors. How about contributors? Um, friends, family, old co-workers. That's about it. Okay, great. And Mr. Rodriguez? Um, for me, some of it was... Myself, a lot of family members, friends in the neighborhood. I've lived here for a long time, and I was very uh, uh, proud of some of the support that I met from people that I talked to out there that were willing to help me on the campaign. But the biggest contributors were probably family. Okay. And Mr. Smith? Um, I'm paying for this campaign money with money that I saved uh, selling cars for John Elway Cadillac. And driving Lyft during the Hillary campaign, and now working my $47,000 a year tech job. I'm paying for this campaign. Yes, my neighbors, my parents um, have contributed to, to my election, but I'm the only person uh, in this election, to my knowledge, um, as, as, at least as for 50% of my opponents, who doesn't take any special interest money. I am the only one endorsed by Clean Slate um, for not taking any special interest money, and I'm the only person that uh, has any regard to um, campaign finance reform and the um, pressing needs that we have to reform our um, financial system, our our campaign finance system uh, in the state of Colorado. So uh, while I do mainly have small donors, and mainly me, I am the largest donor by far in my election, um, I don't take special interest money, and I have been offered um, a couple PACs money, and I've said no. So, um, and that's something that I think we need more politicians that will do okay. that. All right, so now we have another follow-up segment. You'll get 30 seconds to add to a, an answer you had before. Or we will start, you could add, um, you can add, uh, comment on someone before who mentioned something before you want to comment. These aren't questions, they're just comments either on your, your answers before or someone else's. And Robert, we'll start with you. Um, I don't have much. I mean, the campaigning, uh, Colorado, our limits are $400 or up to $800, depending on how you filed it. It's not a lot. The, and I just went through a pretty contentious primary where I had at least $450,000 of special interest soft money spent against me. So I don't, I, that's where our problem with campaign finance problems are. I would wholeheartedly support the People's Initiative that Denver's doing. We need to address this with Citizens United, okay, all you. stuff to address. 30 seconds. Uh, Mr. Smith. 
Um, yeah, again, w w we can stand campaign finance reform. I, I, I do believe that um, Mr. Rodriguez's primary, which I began in, I began this race as a Democrat, and um, that primary did get very, very contentious, and money flew. I, I don't think any other campaign besides the governor's race brought in more soft interest money than, than that primary. And um, that's scary when someone who is not from here can move in, immediately run for office, getting most of their donations from outside the state, and then the rest is coming from realtors associations who are benefiting from gentrification, from healthcare companies that want to keep our healthcare costs long. That's okay, a problem. Stop. Thank you. 30 seconds go by, goes by fast, doesn't yep. it? <laughs> you just get going. So now we're going to do uh, a round call. Do I get one? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. See, that's how fast it goes. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> we both took it all up. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Sorry. I'll see you they, later. they took all the minutes. Um, I want to go back to Tabor and the importance of keeping it in place. Again, this is the Taxpayer Bill of Rights. This gives people a voice, the average regular Joe, a voice in getting their, whether they have their taxes raised or not. The mentality that we have to tax our way out of everything is exactly what ruined California, an amazing state, which is in a financial collapse, and Illinois, whose bonds are literally rated as junk. We are going down the wrong path with this thinking that we have to tax and tax and tax and tax. All right. Thank you. 30 seconds. Again, goes really fast. <laughs> Now is the lightning round. So this is the, the part where I ask you a question and you can say yes, no, or pass. No expanding on it, no explanation, just yes, no, or pass, okay? And we will first start with, who should we start with? We're gonna start with Robert first, okay. All right, <clears throat> Amendment 64, legalizing the sale of marijuana in Colorado passed nearly six years ago. Before the law passed or after, have you sampled what the industry has to offer? No. You said before or after? Before or after, yes, no. Well, I mean. Yes or no? Or yes. Pass? Okay. Yes. All right. Next question. Keep going down the line. Starting with Robert. Do you know what a selfie is? Yes. 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 A little levity there. Do you plan to vote for or against the Denver ballot issue to increase the city sales tax to provide funding for mental health? Yes. Let me rephrase that question. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't even sure if it was supposed to come to me. Sorry. Nope. Nope. That was a question that is not a yes or no question, is it? Do you plan to vote for the Denver ballot issue to increase the city sales tax to, pro to provide funding for mental health? Yes. No. Yes. Do you currently own or do you plan to own an electric car? Yes. No. Yes, plan to. Do you plan to vote for the state ballot issue to increase setback requirements from homes for new oil and gas developments? Yes. No. Yes. Do you plan to vote for state amendments Y and Z regarding the legislative and congressional redistrict redistricting process? No. Reluctantly, yes. Yes. Do you get your newspaper from a traditional newspaper? Do you get your news from a newspaper? As in a print paper? Some. <laughs> yes, no, yes. pass? Yes. No. No. Should fracking be allowed within 501 to 2,500 feet of homes or businesses? Should fracking be allowed within 501 to 2,500 feet of homes or businesses? No. Yes. No. Do you or any family member own a firearm? Yes. Absolutely none of your business. <laughs> Absolutely not. Okay. Candidates, let's give the, uh, the candidates a big round of applause. Those are hard. <laughs> All right, so for our next rounds of questioning, it's going to be the candidates' turn to ask questions of one another. Each of you will ask your opponent a question, and hopefully one of your opponents, you only get to ask one opponent, they will have an answer for you. 
So we will start uh, with Mr. Smith. You get to ask one of your appointment, your opponents a question, and the answer is only going to be one minute, one minute for the answer. Mr. Rodriguez, have you ever gone to college or studied politics formally? Mm, no, I have not. I uh, started out in my career, I went to college for about two and a half years. I left college and I went and worked in the field doing installing tents, doing manual labor. And then I went to work in insurance. I started in a file room at, at workers' comp. And 15 years later, I was very proud that I worked as a senior analyst working doing insurance, environmental insurance for underground storage tanks and environmental cleanup. Um, and also the last f where I handled a, about an eight or nine million dollar book of business that I grew doing insurance. Um, I also have about 15 years of experience in criminal justice. I worked in the family business as a child, left, came back about 10, 12 years ago, and I've been doing that work ever since. Was mostly helping offenders, but it grew as the Department of Corrections became the largest mental health hospital in the state. Our services grew to expand to mental health, which is one of the things I've seen, the problems we have that I'd like to address when I get in the legislature. Okay. Now, Mr. Callender, it's your turn to ask a question of one of your opponents, and whoever answers has one minute to answer. Okay. Well, I'm going to go with my friend to the right again. <laughs> We're not picking on you. Um, I want to read this clearly because I want to make sure I get it right. Um, I'm opposed to single payer, but I want to make sure I get a, this question accurate. Given that uh, every single time single payer health care has been um, put into play, it's been an abysmal failure, and it's already been rejected by Colorado by a huge margin. Could you give me one example anywhere in the world where, when implemented, taxes haven't gone through the roof and or care hasn't gone down? Well, a lot of other countries do that, and I'm not, I mean, I, I was a big proponent of the health care initiative that Colorado carried in 16, um, Amendment 69. Um, I don't know if, I know you haven't lived here that long. Did you know that it took four elections for Tabor to get passed? Yes. Um, it would probably take us four elections to repeal Tabor. I don't think just because it, it took four elections to legalize marijuana. I don't think just because we said no once doesn't mean we have to revisit it. Times have changed. I think people were afraid of the health care issue, but I think now if you probably talk to voters and being a small business owner, I've watched my our health care at our company go from $2,500 for a deductible to $7,500 for people making $17, $18 an hour. Not them being at one catastrophe can put them in bankruptcy. Um, I think it's a conversation we need to have. I think it's something we need to work on. Healthcare costs go through the roof. Profits are up. I have an issue when for-profit business is a priority over the healthcare they're supposed to be servicing. And that's your time. Thank you. Now, Robert, it's your turn finally to ask a question of one of your opponents, and you'll have one minute to answer, gentlemen. So my question is for you, Mr. Collender. Um, I was a little, uh, on your website, you list about not uh, living wages are bad for working families. I would like to hear a little more expansion on why a living wage is bad for a working family. Great question. The reason why it's bad is because if we're going to solve things as one community, we can't just talk to one party or another or one corner of our district or another. We have to include everybody, and that includes business owners. Wherever I've lived, everybody I've talked to, I have never met a business owner who thought it was a great idea. We have to start thinking of, of, of solutions as we're all in one boat. If we pass this and business owners are hurt by it, small business owners, any business owner, if they're hurt by it, their expenses go up and maybe they fire people. Maybe they lay off people. In fact, in Seattle, they've shown that just the minimum wage increase has actually hurt job growth. That's the last thing I think our community needs. Okay. Another round of one-on-ones, and uh, this time, Mark, we'll start with you. Again, you can ask one of your opponents a question, and the uh, gentleman answering will get one minute to answer. Okay. Um, this goes <clears throat> to my friend to my left. Um, it concerns Tabor. This drives me crazy. Uh, this country was built on people, the average Joe, having a voice in how things are done. How in the world can we be in favor of removing that voice from the average Joe having a say-so in a country built on having a say-so being given to the average Joe? 
I, I would love to hear your answer. Tabor was passed by a criminal, a tax-evading criminal. And he was a right-wing fanatical human being who wanted to prove how much, how much smarter he was in the legislature and pick a fight with the governor. That's why he proposes. He's from California, by the way. Coloradans do not like Tabor. I, I, Republicans, independents, Democrats, I have not found many people who are in favor. And for the record, how we would like to change Tabor is I don't think many people are talking about taking away the bring tax increases to the voter. I think that's the plan, is to keep that in, intact. But it's some of the funding mechanisms that, uh, especially uh, making us refund tax dollars to our constituents, that's the problem. It needs to be reformed, maybe totally repealed, but um, it's definitely a conversation we need to have. And how it sits in its current position, I've watched my education, my college education got more expensive, seeing my K through 12 teachers not being able to afford to live in my communities, I've seen my roads crumble, and I've seen my overall quality of life in my home state that I grew up in um, diminish. So, Okay. All right. Robert, your turn to ask. Your, one of your opponents a question, and you'll get one minute to answer. Okay, I just another question for you, Mark. I kind of did a little reading on you. I, I didn't know you till I, I saw you were filed, so it's nice to meet you. I, me and Peter have met quite a few times. But So um, was it uh, three, four years ago you ran for the house in Chicago, and you moved out here, and I just want to know what gave you the desire to run out there and out here. So. What, did, what, I, what prompted me there and here? <clears throat> well, quite frankly, in Illinois, the, the opening line I used to say is, I'm tired of seeing a great city and a great state being run like a third world dictatorship, because it is. And no one was speaking up against it, so I decided to stand up against all odds and run in a district that was 55% um, black, about 70% Democrat, <laughs> and I upped the vote count. And the reason why I ran here is because I came here and I was, quite frankly, shocked and how far down the road Colorado is toward the disaster that Illinois is today. We keep implementing all these programs that cost money, and no one's willing to admit what it costs, but it always comes down to the average Joe paying it, either through property tax or sales tax. And given all the number of ballot initiatives raising taxes here, we are not just going down the same road. We're racing toward the same conclusion as Illinois. And I want to stand up and stop it. Okay. And, Peter, you get the last question. Awesome. So, Mr. Rodriguez, mm -hmm. uh, do you support uh, sanctuary statehood and expanding Colorado's current laws, um, helping immigrants? And overall, do you support sanctuary statehood for Colorado? I, I do not. I support sanctuary statehood in the sense that I don't believe that the cities and the municipalities should be doing the job of the federal government. It's their job to do that. They should do their own work. I would support any path to citizenship. I also support looking at ways to control our border. But I don't look at penalizing people that have been here, taken advantage of, given low wages, with not giving a path to citizenship. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Now it's uh, time to, for our closing statements. Uh, each of you will have a minute and a half for your closing statements. And we will uh, reverse the order of the opening statements, <clears throat> which means we will start with Peter Smith. You have 90 seconds for your closing statement. <clears throat> the last uh, couple decades, we've watched uh, rents in our district skyrocket, up 50%, while our wages have stayed stagnant. Someone like me that makes $47,000 a year and the average one-bedroom apartment is $1,500 a month, that means after taxes, over 50% of my income is going to rent alone. I believe our legislature is not doing anything about this. And I believe the issue is the two-party system. It's not which party is better. I believe both of these parties operate to benefit their donors. That is why they are here. I believe my opponent, Mr. Rodriguez, was selected to run for this spot because the party establishment knows he will vote with them every single time and never challenge them. That is an issue for me. I don't want to be represented by somebody who profits off the criminal justice system. I don't want to be represented by somebody who is a cog in the establishment of the Democratic Party. My idea of a leader is someone who is fresh-faced with bold ideas, who's willing to work for their constituents. That's why I don't take any super PAC money. 
That's why I go out every day to try to meet as many voters as I can, because I want someone who works for the people running. The average state senator is 58 years old. The average Coloradan is 34 years old. We have no leaders under the age, or, uh, under the age of 30 in the legislature at all. I would be the youngest. I would be the first independent ever elected to the legislature. And I think it's about time we have some change in Colorado. Okay. And a closing statement from Mark. Thank you. Um, I see this as just a, an important, critical time in Colorado's history. This is a time to choose. We need to decide as a people, both parties, all communities everywhere, how we want to build our future. And the path we're on right now is 100% wrong. I know things are good now, but taxes are going up. We have more and more people adv advocating, even on this stage, for more and more taxes. The problem with that is it almost never goes to where it's, in, where it's planned to go. We've seen it with taxes with marijuana. Um, so I've seen what it does to communities in Illinois and California. It has ruined it. My favorite story is of this woman who just retired as a teacher. She bought a home in a bad part of town. It got better. And as I was speaking to her, she said, with almost tears in her eyes, now that she's retired, she can't afford to live in a house that's actually paid for. How pathetic is that? Because taxes were so insane back in Illinois. We are heading that direction. I'm here to stop it. Big government, big programs mean big dollars out of every average Joe's pocket. It doesn't just magically appear. Someone's got to pay for it. These are huge, expensive things. Both my opponents are for getting rid of Tabor. I'm for keeping it in place. Because government unchecked is government unchecked. All right. Thank you. And Robert, 90 seconds. So uh, thank you all and to my opponents for this nice discussion tonight. Um, I would love to get your support on the election November 6th. I've lived in the community for since I was raised in, in Denver. I've lived here since I was seven, which was 42 years ago. And I've lived in my house for almost 22 years, as long as maybe one of my opponents has been alive. I love my community. We've grown a lot in this state. And I love that we lived here. Me and my wife bought our house as a starter home. I see the problems. If I sold my house now, I don't know where I'd be able to live other than the same type of house. And I've been honored to work in the party and do work for trying to make change. Um, I have been blessed to be endorsed by some labor unions, the teachers, working families. I'm watching wages. I think that's the stuff we need to go back to. It's not about the for-profit. I will look at everything I legislate on how it affects people, not corporations. And that's why I'm running. I'd appreciate your vote and your support on November 6th. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. So now it's the audience's turn. Let's show our appreciation to our candidates for being here. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you very much. We hope we have given you a fair look at each candidate vying to represent you in the Colorado State Senate from District 32. Our thanks also to the Denver Decides partners, which include Inter-Neighborhood Cooperation and the League of Women Voters of Denver. Denver Decides is presented by Denver 8 TV. Remember, the election is no Tuesday, November 6th. Let your voice be heard. Be sure you are registered to vote and go out and vote. For complete election information online, go to denverdecides.com. I'm Tamara Banks. Thanks for joining us tonight. cut, drilled, or whittled down. The additive process works in reverse. Additive manufacturing was an attempt to get around that problem by making parts from the ground up, not from a piece of solid object, not cutting it out from a solid object, but making layers of a material in thin sections. Through their collaboration, SEMA and Sachs invented an additive manufacturing technique and coined the term 3D printing. 
In essence, a three-dimensional digital representation of an object is created using a computer. This image is then mathematically sliced into thin horizontal layers. Each layer's data are sent to the printer. A layer of powdered material that the object is to be made from is spread over the print bed. The inkjet head returns, printing a liquid that reacts with the powder to make it bind. Depending on the material set, the 3D printing process is based on printing a glue, if you will, to hold that powder together. Layers of powder are spread into a printing bed that sits on top of a piston. The inkjet moves across the building bed and prints in two dimensions across the horizontal X and Y axes. The layers are deposited one on top of the other, and as the piston moves down along the vertical Z-axis, it forms the third dimension. At the end of the process, your piston is completely filled with powder, but only certain volume elements of the powder that are in there are held together, so you can just reach in and shake out the part. In 1993, SEMA and Sachs began filing a series of patents with the United States Patent and Trademark Office for the 3D printer. Companies have licensed some of these patents to produce their own 3D printers. For the two researchers, patenting their technology has given them a 20-year window that allows them to protect and make money off the intellectual property. I like to tell people it's like putting a fence around your property. It tells you in language what's your property, your idea, versus somebody else's. Today, several 3D printing techniques exist, ranging from a printer head that dispenses melted material into layers to a laser that fuses material together to form objects of great precision and durability. 3D printers are already used in automotive and other engineering fields and healthcare. While the 3D printer was originally developed to make prototypes, SEMA first realized the invention had a much broader value when an artist used the technology to create a model of a mosque. The thing that was most interesting about that was that the rooms were inside this mosque. That was my first inkling that people would want to use this not for prototyping some, something they could make other ways. They'd want to use these technologies to make things that they couldn't make any other way. And therein lies the most innovative part of 3D printing.